0: Well, so have you finished off all your Easter candy? I'm I'm thinking maybe by now, maybe not. Nope, not yet. Um, Have you found all those little leftover plastic egg halves that are either under your couch or maybe you stepped on them in your bare feet? (laughs) They're like Legos. Um, You know, we love to celebrate. I know I love to celebrate. And in the church, it's no difference. We celebrate several seasons. Um, First, Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, meaning coming. We start the Advent season four Sundays before Christmas, and we prepare for the coming or birth of Christ. And then Christmas is a season of thankfulness for Christ's first coming to provide salvation. It lasts about 12 days, and it moves into epiphany, which means manifestation. And it's during this season that we proclaim the identity of Christ as our Savior, just like the wise men and the magi did when they traveled to find and honor Jesus. And then at Easter, we celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead. And this is a season of praise and a time that we glorify the risen Christ for his love and willingness to bring us salvation at a very brutal, costly price. And then Pentecost, which is a transliteration of the Greek word Pentecostos, meaning 50, begins 50 days after Easter. And this year, I think it's May 20th. Uh, and we celebrate the gift of the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And The Holy Spirit is our advocate, our counselor. And we read about this in the New Testament in Acts 2, 1 through 3. And which reminds me, you want to pull out your message notes. Um, uh, They're inserted in your bulletin. And you might want to just jot that scripture reference down, Acts 2, 1 through 3, and maybe take some time this week to read it. Well, I left out the season of Lent because I want to focus on it. Lent comes between Epiphany and Easter, It's the time between Ash Wednesday and through Saturday before Easter where we say, yep, it's Lent. We might go to an Ash Wednesday service and remind ourselves of the value of repentance and our need for a Savior. And then we go about our business until Easter arrives and we begin the celebrating all over again. Lent is a time of self-examination and quiet meditation about who God is and where we are in our relationship with him. It's a time when we look closely at our, and this is really hard for me to say because I have so many of them, we look closely at our sins. Um, And so I just have to say it. Um, It's during Lent that we fast, and fasting is voluntarily going without something. It might not necessarily be food. It could be some type like going to the movie on Saturdays or just giving up something that you do a lot and maybe shouldn't. Um, So we fast during Lent, we pray, and we meditate on the Word of God. And when we arrive at Easter, we have breathed new life into our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Or have we? We don't always want to talk about what we find in our self-examination, because I don't know about you, but my, my sin, or rather my sins are plenty. But we need to understand and know our sin, uh, what we're being forgiven for in order to understand God's wonderful, incredible, amazing grace. So I thought, what better time, right after Lent and Easter, to share with you one of my favorite, uh, maybe not favorite, but it's, it is a reoccurring sin, and what I learned during this recent season of Lent. I've been fasting since about January 8th. And that is before Lent. I think Lent started Valentine's Day, I think. Yeah, February 14th. I remember that. Yay. Uh, uh, But anyways, um, I I started this fast in January by voluntarily giving up sugar. and And I continued it through Lent because I had just come out of a less than stellar year in my relationship with God. And I was thinking about my relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And how certain things in my life get in the way of that relationship with one of those things being food. Um, I wear that sin <laughs> you know I get it and so it it's seen by everyone and I want to share with you how it impacts me because it's one of those things in my suitcase of sins or my baggage of past sins that I keep dragging along with me that keeps me from talking to others about God and His grace. Uh, before I share my lessons, let's first look at the book of Romans in the New Testament. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he states very clearly right up front in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, what the message of or theme of Romans is, and that is the good news about Jesus Christ. The book of Romans relates salvation through faith from the Old Testament to the New Testament and to the relationship of Jews and Gentiles in Paul's own day. Yes, they had factions and divisions within their Christian communities, just like we do today. You see, during that time, the Roman Christians were divided into Gentile Christians who were less concerned about the Old Testament law than the Jewish Christians who insisted on adhering to Old Testament law. Romans 1, 16 through 17 says, "'For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. "'It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes.'" the Jew first, and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I want you to take a look at that verse in your bulletin, and I want you to underline God makes us right in his sight. and I want you to think about that. Makes us right in his sight does not mean to make us good people. It means puts us in a right standing before God, a right standing before God, and that is the good news about Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ's sacrifice puts us in right standing before God. And then if you read at the end of um, verse 17, Paul quotes the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, I want you to underline, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. You see, the prophet Habakkuk struggled to understand how God could use pagan nations, someone other than his own um, nation of Israel, his own people, to judge the nation of Israel. And God reminded Habakkuk that his true people, the righteous, need to live by faith. And so the righteousness of God is a condition or state of being that is acceptable to God, everyone can have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So back to my fast and four of the lessons I've learned. And the first one being, sin is sin. And in your message notes, you'll notice uh, after some of the um, lessons I've put in parentheses some scripture and those are scriptures that were very foundational, or, or are, or have been foundational for me during uh, my my fast. It's, it's encouraged me, and so if you get a chance this week, maybe you might want to read through those. Well, in the first half of Romans one, Paul catches us off guard a little bit. Remember, this is a letter he's sending to to the Roman Christians, people that he loves, and. Just, I was thinking about um, when I was younger, going to summer camp. I always loved getting a letter from my grandmother. Um, She would send it and say how much she loved me and that she missed me and what everybody else in the family was doing. She would encourage me. So that's what I think about when Paul writes these different letters in the New Testament to the different people and churches um, during his time. Well. Well, Paul kind of catches us off guard a little bit. He starts out in chapter 1 introducing himself and telling us who his readers are, the Roman Christians. He goes on to thank God for the Roman Christians, telling telling them that he prays for them, that he wants to encourage them, and he wants to be encouraged by them. He tells us what he's going to talk about, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then from chapter 1, verse 18... Through chapter 4 of Romans, he tells us that we're all accountable to God for our sin, that we're all sinners. Paul doesn't soft sell it either. In chapter 1, verses 29 through 32, he spells it out, reminding us of the various forms that sin might take. It says their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. You know, I saw myself in more than just making food and idol, envy, gossip, being prideful, being disobedient. And then in chapter 3, verse 23, and some of you might remember um, what is referred to as the beginning of the Romans' road to salvation, Paul makes his point, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. In short, sin is sin. And if you read through that verse, it really hit home for me because he puts gossip um, right up there with, with murder and uh, malicious behavior. And then that, that last one, he says, and they encourage others to do them. Well, you know, I love to go to family reunions or get-togethers where there's lots of great food. It's much more fun to eat that food with others. And so I'm always encouraging the kids and, and my siblings wow. and my husband, come on, eat more because it makes me feel good. <laughs> so... Sin is sin. <laughs> uh, Paul goes on to tell us that no one is justified by works, and that the righteousness of God comes through Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice, his death on the cross for us. Jesus says in John fifteen five, and this is our memory verse, so let's we can say this together. John fifteen five, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. John 15, 5, yes. Um, and I want you to underline that last sentence in that verse, for apart from me you can do nothing. And then I want you to circle that little word me, and I want you to write right underneath it, Jesus Christ because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. We can't do anything right. We do fall short of God's glorious standard. God is holy and just and righteous, and he demands perfection, and sometimes we forget how holy and just he is. And the only way we become perfect is in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do you remember the 1960 um, Walt Disney movie, Pollyanna? anybody remember? One of my favorite movies, and I know it's kind of probably before some of your time, but um, it's one for all the ages. It it starred uh, actress Haley Mills as Pollyanna and Jane Wyman as Aunt Polly and Carl Malden as Reverend Ford. Uh, See, Pollyanna goes to live with her Aunt Polly after the death of her missionary parents, and Pollyanna teaches the town the glad game where she always looks for something to be glad about. Well, Pollyanna is the complete opposite of her Aunt Polly. Her Aunt Polly is stern, and she's very wealthy. Uh, she controls most of the town of Harrington and its citizens, including Reverend Ford, who she meets with weekly to give him recommendations, and those just means he, probably more than a recommendation, uh, for his sermon content. She encourages him to be a hellfire and brimstone minister of doom and gloom and disaster, every Sunday morning so that by Sunday afternoon um, lunch, nobody in the congregation is hungry from all the brimstone they had to eat at church. I don't want to send you home with stomach upset and no hope because although I contemplated my sins over my fast and how my sinfulness impacts my relationship with God um, and thought about just what those sins meant in the forgiveness that, that Christ uh, brought to me, God also flooded my heart with reminders of who I am in Him and how I can honor him. So number two, God is glorified in our weakness. you 'll see that I have second Corinthians twelve one through ten as my foundational scripture for that. Uh, the first couple of weeks of the fast were the hardest. I went through withdrawal headaches. I thought you only got those when you quit drinking coffee, but went through withdrawal headaches frustration, and moments when I asked myself why I was even doing a fast, forgetting about what my focus was on, (laughs) and wondering why I was so addicted to sugar, and then realizing that sugar wasn't my only problem, until I remember praying and asking God to be my comfort food, literally asking him, I mean literally, asking him to be my meatloaf and mashed potatoes and gravy, all those things that I love. And I know it sounds kind of weird and awkward, but I I embrace my weirdness and my awkwardness. But you know what? It also sounds weak, and I have a very hard time showing people that I I am weak, and I'm weak a lot of the times. Um, But you know what? In my weakness, I found that God can carry all of my burdens. Jesus said to us in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, and you might want to write that down in your message notes, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I have is light. Are you weighed down by the worries of this world? Maybe a challenging marriage or other relationship, medical issues, financial stress? a broken heart, broken dreams. Jesus will remove your heavy burden of guilt and hopelessness and give you true rest in him. But like all relationships, we have to make the effort. Daily we need to be spending time in worship, in God's word, in prayer, listening to him, um, being involved uh, maybe in a small group or a Bible study, And I know uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the one that Herb and Diane are going to start. I think that's coming up in May. Um, That might be a perfect one uh, to start out a Bible study with. And so on the back of your connection cards, if you're interested, give that a little check. Um, Also, Jan and Dave host a really great Bible study most most Fridays at 7 o'clock at their house. And we'd love to have you come join us. But it's so important to take these opportunities to make God a priority in our life. God, through our faith in Christ, is transforming us uh, for a much bigger purpose. And I think C.S. Lewis said it best. I love this quote. He said it in Mere Christianity that he wrote. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of throwing out a new wing here putting on an extra floor there running up towers and making courtyards you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage but he's building a palace he intends to come and live in it himself when we ask Jesus into our lives to be Lord of our lives we have the assurance that he will always carry our burdens he will always love us Maybe not necessarily our behavior, but he will always love us. Which brings me to my third lesson. Remember, when we feel unloved, God always loves us. And that foundational scripture for that is Romans 5. You know, when you've defined yourself by hurtful things people say say or do to you, finding comfort in something familiar that doesn't judge you seems so much easier than thinking about or communicating those hurtful words and actions. And it's easier than thinking about a way to overcome that hurt. I want you to remember that God is your shield and chose you to have an intimate relationship with him. Psalm 3.3 says, You, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head up high. And when you don't feel heard, or Satan is whispering in your ear that you're not good enough, or smart enough, or wealthy enough, or pretty enough, remember that God knit you in your mama's womb and loved you before time began. He tells us that in Psalm 119, verses 13 through 16. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it, and we're his workmanship. Uh, You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How reassuring is that? Read these verses whenever you begin to forget who you are in Christ. And then the last takeaway, number four, and it says uh, that I learned God wants more of me than just my food intake. He wants all of me. And in the space provided, you can substitute whatever it is that's creating that barrier between you and God, and you can take that to him. And then I want you to write in big letters right next to it, he wants all of me. Not just me, you guys too. So... (laughs) Um, when I first started this fast in January, I wanted, to be, I wanted it to be different than my past fasts. Um, I wanted it to be thought-filled. I didn't want it to be about weight loss or, or self-image. I wanted it to be about my relationship with God and where I placed our relationship. So rather than turning to Food for Comfort, I made a very intentional effort to turn to God, turn to prayer, turn uh, to his word, and talk to him about what was bothering me. And you know what he said? He wants all of me. He wants us to find our worth and our purpose, our confidence in him through Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't want to take the fun out of life. And I know I always have to have this disclaimer when I'm talking. but, But he tells us throughout Scripture there are certain things to avoid where he tells us how to live a fruitful life so that we can honor him, so that we can make him first. That's what our purpose is. It's kind of like when our parents uh, who told us to go to bed at night because they they knew we needed to get a good night's rest in order to be ready for the next day or to take a bath and brush our teeth so we wouldn't get called names at school and that whole hygiene thing um, or to quit doing the foolish things our friends were doing because we were going to eventually get in deeper trouble. And that last one is from my past. I can remember my mother telling me that when I was in high school. I was making some choices that were leading me in, in in a direction that I may not be here today, so um, I can remember. I can see her face, and she's looking at me. She says, "I know what you're doing, Chris. I can't make you stop." She says, "But remember, I will always love you, no matter what happens." Now, I'd like to say I changed overnight. No, I didn't. But I did. I, I, do, I do. I even now I think about. It. I can remember thinking about that when I looked into the eyes of my newborn. Uh, baby, each time one of my boys was, was born, thinking, oh, that's what she meant. That's what God means. He's telling us how much he loves us, and there are certain things that we're going to do that may not help us get get to where we're supposed to be. You see, God is holy, and he's sovereign, and he makes it clear that there is a definite boundary of what honors and dishonors him. God wants to be everything to us. He wants to be our treasure, and he tells us in Matthew 18, verses 19 through 21, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Then he tells us in Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, that he wants to be our security and comforter. I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. You know, I ask myself, um, and I'm asking you now, I ask myself this a lot during, during this fast. Why am I so tempted to hold fast to those things that put up a barrier to my relationship with God. Why do I set my mind on the temporary things of this world, other forms of security and comfort, uh, like entertainment and finances and wealth, uh, other relationships and even food, rather than relying on Christ alone? Jesus knew it was going to be hard for us. He knew this since before the world began. Think Genesis, first book of the Old Testament, chapter 3, Adam and Eve the serpent, the lesson we learn from their lives is the sin of disobedience. A form of pride brought us spiritual ruin in one swift fight. And so he prepared himself to be our sin offering, Jesus, God in the flesh, lived the perfect life we couldn't, that we can't live, and died a brutal death for our sins and made us righteous before God. The writer of Hebrews 10 verses 8 through 10 wrote, First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. And then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. For God's will for us is to be made holy by by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. We lived in darkness and sin and under God's judgment. And then Jesus Christ said, you have given me a body to offer. I love these people. Use me. Jesus is our only claim to eternal life. Not our good deeds, nothing we can do. And like I said earlier, if we don't acknowledge our sinfulness, what we're being forgiven for, we can't understand just how glorious God's amazing grace is for us. The new covenant in Christ is unconditional. We read in Hebrews chapter 7 verses 23 through 25 that Jesus lives forever and he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. God's covenant, his solemn promise and blessing for us is our inheritance through Jesus Christ. Have you entered into a covenant, a personal relationship with God by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted God's amazing grace. Uh, before I go, before I close in prayer, I wanted to remind, or have you look at one other thing. You know, I talked earlier uh, about how difficult it is for me to talk about Christ's gift of salvation to other people because of my baggage of sins. But I also um, tend to get a little uh, tongue-tied. I stumble over my words. I, that's why I have my script, because I my head is just going like 90 to nothing right now. So, uh, this helps me to stay focused. But on the back of your message notes, I put the Romans' road to salvation. Um, and I thought that, like, if I'm having trouble doing this, that maybe some of, some others might be so. If you ever, if you need to talk to somebody uh, and share Christ's gift of salvation with them, this is just a, an easy way to do it. Call it the Romans' road of salvation because um, each of the verses are from, from Romans. Talks I put a little summary of what the verse means and then the verse itself, and then at the end I put um, a little prayer that you can say with your friend or, or family member. Um, Keeping in mind, you can use whatever prayer you want. It's not the words of the prayer, it's the faith behind, it's the faith behind what you're saying, it's the faith in Christ that provides salvation. So this is just an example. So I just wanted to share that with you. So, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace through Jesus Christ, your forgiveness that forgets. We know that we are undeserving, and we're thankful for Jesus who gave everything and asked for nothing from us in return. Remind us who we are in you, that you want us to find our our worth, our purpose, and our confidence in you. Jesus Christ. And so while our heads are bowed, I want you to remember we're all worthy of God's grace and forgiveness. And if you haven't asked Jesus into your heart or if you'd like to recommit your life to Christ, you can silently pray this prayer with me. Loving God, Redeemer, Son, Spirit of the living God, I need you. I've been living for myself and that is wrong. I need you in my life. I want you in my life. I no longer want to wander aimlessly through life. I acknowledge the completed work of your son, Jesus Christ, in giving his life on the cross for me. And I want to receive the forgiveness you have made freely available to me through his sacrifice. Come into my life now and dwell in my heart and be my Lord and Savior. From this day forward, I will follow you all the days of my life. Amen.